Are you ready for it? Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Snapped Pod. I'm your host, Pete. And I'm Paul. And this is Snapped, your weekly dissection of music's greatest hits, hidden gems and cultural resets. Each week we're going to dive deep into a different album and try to convince you that they truly snapped. Yes, so this week we're starting with a very important album to both of us. It's an album we both love. It's an album that you will love by the end of this episode if you don't already. And that is Reputation by Taylor The Swift. (laughs) Yeah, that's right, Pete. We couldn't really think of anything better to start with than going right in with Taylor's magnum opus. Now I'll pass over to our resident Swifty to see where it all began. Well, that makes me a villain. (laughs) Then so fucking be it. Yes, while that album did come out in November, the story begins three months earlier in August of 2017 when Taylor goes dark, removes all of her photos from social media, creates hysteria in the industry. The newspaper just scrambling to work out what's going to happen. And then she signals her new year one week later by dropping the snakes on Instagram. And this is something that a lot of celebrities do these days, especially if you're um, getting cast in the new season of Drag Race. It's good to clear your feed. But at this point, no one was doing this. Instagram was supposed to be more of a... It's like a full storyboard of your life, I guess. Yeah. That's where you post, like, and people can scroll back and see how, where you've come from. And for musicians, it's easy to see where all their distinct eras landed. And to delete all of that and not put it back is so impactful. And it is something that people are stealing. Yeah, so give us a bit of a backstory on what the snake was all about. So Taylor had been coming off a really strong era with 1989, where she won the Grammy for Album of the Year and was prepping for her new album cycle. She puts an album out every two years. The Swifties know November, every other year, we're getting a legendary album. But things changed in 2016, where Kanye released a song called Famous, where he alleges that he made that bitch famous, in reference to Taylor Swift, and saying that they may still have sex. And Taylor and Kanye had kind of recovered from their feud in 2009 with the VMA performance that everybody will remember where he drops her on stage and said Beyonce should have won video of the year for single ladies. Yo, Taylor, I, I'm really happy for you. I'm gonna let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. And really starts back a few that people have thought have been buried years ago, even Taylor, I think. And a few months later, Kim Kardashian posts on her Instagram story a video between Kanye and Taylor where Kanye is referencing this song. It's stitched together in a really haphazard way, but it seems to implicate Taylor in knowing the song was going to come out. And all the Kim Kardashian fans, the Kimmies, were all in the... Ins- <laughs> <laughs> they were all in Taylor's Instagram comment section throwing snake emojis in there, saying she was a liar for attention, she was playing the victim. And then on Twitter... Hashtag Taylor Swift is over party was the number one trend in the world. Taylor took this so badly and just took a whole year off. And what I think completely changed the course of history for her albums as well. Yeah, so let's get into the album. The first thing you should start with is the cover. It's such a striking cover in comparison to her other more colourful album covers that had come to date. And the symbolism of it being in black and white, being about... The press versus her is a really interesting 
side to her that we hadn't seen at this point. Yeah, I completely agree with your point. I think to what you're just saying, all of the albums before this are very autobiographical and really telling her story. But the black and white nature of the cover alongside the newspaper font that's on there is that it's telling a story, but it's not necessarily her story. And it's maybe the melding of the two with the newspaper font on one side and the other side just being her face completely clean and clear. It's the duality of what the newspaper is writing about her and how she's such a villain. And also then the part of her life where she's just the person who's falling in love and dealing with a lot of challenges. And I think the duality will inform a lot of the songs in the album as well. Yeah, I'm I'm proud of her for not just putting a big snake on the front cover, although... You know she was tempted. I am excited to see the re-release. I'm hoping for like a Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, oh. snake around the arm, holding <gasps> the apple. That would be cool. Oh, like a Britney VMA homage almost as well. That, that sort of imagery. I would love that. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. But I, I really love the cover and I think it is one of her best and it encapsulates the album so well in that time everybody was scrambling to work out what type of album is this going to be and I think the duality in the album cover does lend itself into the duality of the track list which we're going to deep dive into right after a quick word from our sponsors Mom I smelled something bad Well don't blame me You need to get some Taylor Swift Reputation Room Spray Mmm Wow what a product. Everyone needs to run, not walk, to home bargains right now. So speaking of doing something, Taylor soon goes on to drop the Look What You Made Me Do single as the first one from the album. And what a way to kick off this era. I think the best way to start talking about the album is to just dive right into that. This track came out of nowhere and is so tonally different to everything on 1989 that I think it was such a hard palette switcher for everybody. And it is a more electronic sign of the times song that came out right when the industry was leaning towards songs from Drake, Post Malone and that environment where pop music was falling off. And I don't know how inspired Taylor was by that, but I think that did have a hand to play in it. Yeah, I think a lot of the pop girlies were having their flop in Vertikoma's eras at this point. I really think the generational switch was moving away from pop for more of our generation where were you in your life when this dropped and like what was your thoughts on the single i was still i was a big swifty at the time i'd love 1989 and i came off wanting more love songs and she'd given me that every single time so far and suddenly we're getting songs about revenge and not really about a man and that wasn't what i wanted at the time I was starting my new job. I grew up with Taylor along the way, but I was still really hoping for an album about love and that wasn't what we got at all. And I think a lot of people were expecting something more mainstream, something more accessible. And to drop something like this as a female in the industry at the time was so different. What was your initial thoughts on it when you heard it for the first time? At this point, the general public gateway into Taylor was 1989. Obviously, she still was around. And I think if we're talking like radio play, I think 1989 really had dominated and everyone knew who she was and everyone knew what her sound was. So when you know that she's got her lead single from the next one coming, there was like a sort of electricity in the air about it. And I remember I didn't see it on release. I just remember seeing the backlash everywhere about that it wasn't what people were expecting like um i have a friend who really loves 
the start of Taylor's career and she messaged me being like, you need to listen to this. The fact that the drop in the song is so jarring is why the general public didn't really buy into it. I think the music video is incredible. The music video was what made me really understand and enjoy it for the first time. Before the video came out and before I saw the video, I didn't really get it. But when you watch the music video, it's so camp. Like the very start where she's dressed up in the out of the woods dress from 1989. She's in the grave, she's a zombie and she's digging herself back out. She One of the greatest died, icons. but that's not a compliment is such a metaphor for her coming through all the adversity she'd faced with the Kanye thing, everything that was going on in her personal life at the time. And it's so iconic to just show that the old Taylor, the pop Taylor, the love struck Taylor was gone. She was out for blood. I like that she does categorize her era so well and that she is killing off who you expect her to be from the last time you heard from her. Yeah, it's a very succinct way to say I'm not the same person that I was last time, so don't expect me to be. And it's almost like she preempted the fact that people wouldn't really get the change. There is a lot of other Easter eggs in the music video that I really enjoy. Even at the very start, the pseudonym on one of the gravestones being Nils Sloberg, which she used to pen This Is What You Came For from Calvin Harris, her ex-boyfriend at the time. Just shows that she's leaving behind those exes, she's leaving behind the media controversy, and she's not hiding behind names anymore. She's just gonna be herself and screw what everybody else thinks. Stuff like that that I think is a level of detail that other artists don't usually strive to. Yeah, and I like that there are Easter eggs like that where you are rewarded for being involved in her life and there are more explicit Easter eggs like her at the end in all her different iconic moments and costumes which you can have only seen a couple music videos or seen her perform live at an awards show and you can be like, oh, I get it. It makes you want to be a Swifty because you want to get the reference you want to be part of this iconic moment in history but the song is a strange phenomenon with how Marmite it was especially as a lead single coming off her arguably best album yeah do you think it was the right lead single or, or is there anything else in the record you would have pulled from first I think it's important to view it as a lead single and it was the palette cleanser and set the tone do you think something else could have set the tone for the album better than the Koi Mimi 2? It's hard because with an album that has two sides to it you have to pick one to start yes and I think she did have to cash in on the feud while she could to get her point across because as you said she went dark so she couldn't say her piece with regards to Kanye. Yeah, I completely agree. I think one of the best interview bites she gives about the album is that she says that there will be no explanation, there will just be reputation. And she really said everything she wants to say about this era in the songs. So she couldn't preamble, explain what the album was about. This song had to explain what the album was about. And it is about the death of her reputation. And I think to have a song about Kanye, the catalyst for her reputation going away, and being tarnished as a prelude to how that impacted her life and the other songs. I think it's a perfect start and I think the music video is a a brilliant accompaniment. I wouldn't have picked it at the time, but I think in retrospect it was the best choice she could have made. Yeah, I would have loved to see the the universe where Ready For It does come first. I think Ready For It is kind of slept on in comparison the way that she's asking us if we're ready for her to go this way and she doesn't really care what the answer is but I think it would be a very cool way to start a whole era I I just I love that song it's it's probably one of my favorites from the album yeah I think it's 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 telling the same story as look what you made me do but there's something really amazing about the thought of the era starting and her first words being 
are you ready for it? You know, yeah. even her clearing her throat and saying, okay, I've been silent for long enough and now I'm going to speak. I think that would have been slightly better. And I, I just think she wanted the, oh, the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. Why? Oh, because she's dead, bridge, yeah. to be the, the moment. And I do think she could have lifted it and dropped it into ready for it. And then that could have been the perfect lead single. I think she needed to tell that story with Look At Me Me Do, but... Yeah, the, the song that she chose to do so could have been interchanged and I agree, Ready For It would have been a good one as well. Shout out to her for including lots of different types of snakes in the music video, such as <laughs> Todd Hall. Get the fag off the TV, I'm not watching that. Well, that's homophobia, to be fair, to include Todrick. She has some missteps, and Todrick being in it is one of them. But Taylor does Patty really well, and if you watch the music video, you'll see she's wearing a Katy Perry kitten wig from the Witness era in a car holding a Grammy, sort of to say, well, I have a Grammy, and you don't, to build on that. She's like, I'm not done fighting with Kanye, but Katy, you're going to get it as well. You know, Taylor's a Patty girl like the rest of us, so I appreciate seeing some of those nods. Yeah, and especially if you compare it to Swish Swish, the music video, there's no comparison. That's another pod for another day. That, that witness won't be on Snapped, but it might be on Flopped. And speaking of snapping and flopping, I think it's time we really break down our favourite songs and our least favourite songs from Reputation and see if we can convince one another whether we agree or disagree. I'm going to let you kick off first with your Snapped. Well, yeah, as I said, one of my favourite songs on the album is Ready For It. I think it is just such a moment. You can play it in the club. Everyone's going to love the beat. Definitely, I thought it was fun. I like the beat. So, yeah. Everyone's going to get down. (laughs) I just think it's so fun. I think it's so tongue-in-cheek. I don't think she's seriously being like, are you ready for this? I'm about to Mm -hmm. go off. I think she's like... Let's go. Let's see what you're gonna say about me this era because I'm ready to come for your weeks. Yeah, and I think this song actually better than Look What Mimi Do has both because there is a love story in there as well. She she's asking herself, is she ready for this person she's gonna fall in love with? But it's also asking us, are we ready for this journey in this era? And that duality I think is a strong opener for the album too. I think first place is a good place for it. So I agree, it snaps. I'm gonna throw in call it what you want to the snappage which i know you may not agree with as strongly for me taylor released this as a promo single from the album just before it came out and it was the first one that really hooked me because it is a more traditional love song and it falls more into the love category of the album for me and at the time i needed that and it always will stick with me and there's a lot of cool references about the castle crumbling overnight it's a call back to 1989's new romantics which i love where that people are throwing bricks at her and she's building a castle up, but the Kanye brick broke everything, ruined her reputation, broke everything that she had built in the last 10 years. And I think it's an encapsulation of her reflecting on her reputation being broken and saying, well, I've got my beautiful boyfriend, Joel Wynn, so screw you, Kanye. And I like that as an ending. It's cute, (laughs) but uh, cute next to gorgeous. Speaking of gorgeous. No, no, no. (laughs) No gorgeous in the snapping category, please. My second choice for snapping on this album is obviously King of My Heart. It's such an important song for us. I think it's one of her most romantic, so unashamedly romantic, not unrequited love. It's really love, like pure love. And media wants to show us that she has a dark and twisted album, but it's actually at its core such a, a beating heart for 
Joe Alwyn. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's the perfect way to put it. I think that she's never really written about being in love while she was in love before. Taylor was always the girl that scorned her exes on songs and bottled up men so that she could make music. This is about being in love in the moment. I couldn't agree more. I think King of My Heart is probably my favorite song of this album. I, it snaps for me all the time. I, I listen to it and I get something different and I feel every emotion. Taylor is best when she's in love. And on King of My Heart, she is so deeply in love with Joe Alwyn. And it's so, so incredible to hear. Now, I think this 50s would have my head if we didn't include Getaway Car in the snapped section of this. And I also agree. I think Getaway Car is the song that the 50s really clamored for to be a single and, and she didn't pull the trigger on that. But the meaning of it is just so deep and so layered and it's quite easy to skip past a lot of the deeper parts on first listen. I remember when I was in work one day, one of my best friends came over to me, shout out to Cassie for listening. And she was saying, you know, think about the place where you first met me, Met Gala. That's where she met Tom Hillison. And I was like, <gasps> and I'm Googling and I'm looking up and lo and behold, this song really is such a love letter to Joe Alwyn, but also uh, an apology to Tom Hillison about why that relationship didn't work out, why it was so short-lived. You know, if people aren't aware, she dated Tom Hillison of Loki fame between Calvin Harris and Joe Alwyn in her more troubled times and it really was her saying to Tom I needed you to get between these two people I needed some fun I needed a nice journey in the middle but we were never destined to last and I think the honesty of that is incredible and it's just a bop it just goes off I love it unfortunately every album has its flops no I sadly agree do you want to go first I'm scared to hear what you're gonna say I think the categorical worst song on this album is this is why we can't have nice things. I think the song really does show this is why we can't have nice things on this album. we shouldn't album. have nice things, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just think it, it's very childish. Like, ha ha. You don't love the laugh. The forced laugh, you don't love. No. Um, <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face. Ha ha, laugh, funny. No. Not for me. And the fact that she closed the tour with it, no. I would have left before I could have this nice thing. You'd be running in the car park, gassing up the getaway car, being like, I'm getting out of I here. I would buy my Reputation merch. <laughs> as you should and as we all should. I I think it's, a, yeah, it's probably my least favorite song on the album as well. It doesn't really, it feels petty for me. It doesn't feel as nuanced as Ready For It or Look It Made Me Do. It feels a bit more kindergarten or... Remedial. I agree, and I, I would definitely, I would say it's the worst song. I would also throw in Ed Sheeran's inclusion as a flop in Endgame. It's not my favorite either, and she made it a single. That's a weird choice for me. Endgame, I was an Endgame hater, but I think you can take it as a sum of its parts. I think there are really good parts to the song. Compa right. Compared to songs like dancing with our hands tied which to me is just very linear i i'm not saying there's no nuance to it and i'm not saying it's a bad song but it's not i wouldn't go oh well, you know what i really want to listen to right. like it's very flat to me but i think sometimes you do need breathing space on an album especially with different themes like sometimes we just need a, a slower more basic song <laughs> sure yeah it's not as i think because a lot of the bigger songs in the start of the album are so highly produced it seems more stripped back but not in a an effective way i think for me dancing with our hands tied has been 
that storyline of a secret love or you know not wanting to put the relationship in the press was done better in 1989's I Knew Places with Harry Styles being the, the focus point of that or illicit affairs and folklore. And I think for it to be of the same vein, but not, I don't, there's just something lacking in it. I can't put my finger on it. It just doesn't really have the, it's not fully produced for me. So I, I think it's a kind of a flop. Yeah, and finally, just wrapping up on our negativity, because I actually don't have many negative things to say about the album, but I think the main issue with the album is the sequence of the songs. Agreed. I just think for me, the as we said before, the jollity of the album could have been presented better in the track listing. Because I think the first half needed to be about her reputation and its downfall, maybe ending with Look What Me Do, and then switching into the, well, my reputation was really bad, but I still managed to find Joe in this dive bar on the east side where you at. And I think that second half love story would have been more effective if we didn't have there's always kind of nice things thrown in the middle of that section that just stops the flow. And I was really thinking about it beforehand and wanted to pick your brain about the fact that she likes to put the most emotionally intense song as her fifth track on the album, the track five. A lot of the fans are clambering to find out what's going to be track five. She's got Dear John, which is so harrowing on Speak Now, All Too Well on Red. She really hits hard on these tracks. But do you think forcing Delicate to be so early in the track listing disrupts that storyline? Yes, 100%. And I really like your idea of splitting it into even like the two discs. Right. Or like to have one cover which is her and one cover which is her covered in the newspaper. I think right. would even be really cool. One in black and white and one in colour. Like I just think there were so many different ways she could have done it. And I think when you listen to the album in order, it genuinely feels like you're shuffling the album. Because right. she goes between being so in love to being annoyed to being vengeful to then being really happy with where she's at and who she's with. It's It's very jumbled and it's chaotic and i think you're right i think the necessity to have a really emotional song faith disrupts the fact that she probably wanted to get the let's go petty bit out first and then go into how she's actually happy and how the tabloids are trying to say that she's this man eater who just makes songs about men and then drops them. I think the track five issue is an issue that she has in all her albums. I think she's she's trapped herself now by making it a thing. And lastly, before we jump into another break, do you think Reputation is the best possible album title for this album? Do you think it sums it up or would you go for something else? I think it's I think it's brilliant. What about you? Oh, it's perfect. It shows, it's just so duplicitous again. It, it's got the side where it's about love and the reputation of her in the media but it's also how her reputation fell apart and how she grew out of it it's perfect for me as well we're going to take a quick break and come back after these messages does your getaway car smell cool fishy well we've got the product for you dress up the inside of your suzuki swift with i smelled something bad now available in car or freshener fragrance Oh my god, we're here on the red carpet, red carpet, with all the adoring fans ready to hear the first annual Snappies Awards. Woo! That's right, we've got some amazing categories and some great awards to be given out today, Pete. So let's start off with the first award for Cringiest Line. What have you got for that one? Well, Paul, it couldn't come from any other song, but... 
This is why we can't have nice things. Boo! Boo! There are two options here. I really have to give it up for if only you weren't so shady. I think the line itself is foreshadowing for the choices made on Lover, but the winner has to be, and I quote, ha ha ha, I can't even say with a straight face. She couldn't. Todrick was there, no straights allowed. No, that was a no, and especially when she does it on the tour. One of my biggest icks is fake laughing in a song, and I just, I can't deal with it. Taylor's got at least five of them, so you, I need to plug your ears. I know, like, cringe Taylor does come out every once in a while and <laughs> rear her ugly head, but I still love her. Well, that's, that's a deserving one. I would say nominee for the baby at the sort of gorgeous, but it's not my award to give, so I'll leave that there. Our second award of the night is for weirdest fact about the album. Okay, I, I like to dig into the backstory of an album and see if I can find something weird that I didn't already know. And while Taylor was releasing 1989 and winning Grammy Album of the Year, Hilary Duff was also creating a masterpiece in her, her album Breathe In, Breathe Out, which apparently Taylor has been inspired by. Claps if you've heard of that album. I'll have to look that one up. And you will be. So in the, the title track, Breathe In, Breathe Out, Hillary says, X marks a spot where we fell apart. Does that sound familiar to any Swifties? Yes, it's alleged that Taylor did steal this line for Getaway Car and the infamous bridge there where she used the same line. Further fueled by a Swiftie asking Taylor on Tumblr back in 2015, RIP Tumblr, what her favourite song of Duff's album was, citing Breathe In, Breathe Out as the selection. So yeah, that was interesting. I didn't realise that Hilary Duff had such an impact on the pop industry, but she did. <laughs> Heading back over then to our lovely eShop, let's discuss the ugliest merch from the album and what, what Pete's been digging up. This is a really tough one because I actually really like the merch for this era. I think there's a lot of black and white, a lot of snake insignias, but upon my deep dive, I came across an ugly grey t-shirt which just has look what you made me do in black bold but it's vertical oh to the side like so down one side you would have to be on your side to look at it and look what you made me do she looks in 3d chess she's very versatile in that way wow (laughs) she's doing it in different dimensions back to real talent and let's talk about what is taylor's best live performance ever in this era there weren't too many. Unfortunately, she really stopped doing live performances for this. And when she did them, I don't think they're her best quality. The SNL stint, not great. I would have to just give it to the entire Reputation World Tour, but I don't know if that's a cop-out. No, it's incredible. Yeah, the whole thing is incredible. The whole thing is incredible. If I had to pick, I really think the King of My Heart performance with the massive, massive drums, just to get that heartbeat going and, and symbolizing how she's feeling with her heart fluttering. I think that's really good and everybody should check it out. It would have been a good live music video. She loves to pull those out near the end of the album cycle. So I'm surprised she didn't. I w- I'd probably go for that. But the whole thing needs to be watched. It's on Netflix. Check it out. Not sponsored yet, but definitely give it a look. <laughs> Speaking of looks, we're going to head over to the red carpet and see what her best look was from this era. No more bodysuits. No, ever. (laughs) This is a tough one. There are a lot of bodysuits and I do love them. But my choice for this 
is actually from the Look What You Made Me Do music video. Can you guess what it is? Oh, is it the one where she's got like the slick back hair on top of the throne with all the snakes? <gasps> no, I do love that one, but it is. I'm going to give it up for Dominatrix Taylor with her hair to the side, pleather leather. With her girls. She's got her cane. She's going to whip the girls, Diana Agron. Oh! <laughs> but yeah, I think it's so iconic. I think she's really leaning into the dark imagery. And she's like, I'm not safe for work anymore, little girl. <laughs> little girl. Thank you so much for attending the very first Snappies. So now we're back over in the studio. We're going to talk through our final thoughts of the album and sort of ask the question, do we think that this era was as much a success for Taylor as it was for us? Because we as Swifties think this is a very strong era, but do we think Taylor feels like that? I think my biggest basis of saying yes on that question would be that the album sells like hotcakes. It sells over a million in the first week again in in US alone. She does hold it back from Spotify to achieve those numbers and maybe inflate them a little, some would say. But it sells a lot. The tour was the highest grossing tour in all of North American history. It is a monster of a tour. Yes, with 53 stops around the world, she really was bringing the snakes to everyone. St. Patrick who? <laughs> she brought um, local snake faves such as Camilla Cabello and Queen of Pop, Charlie XCX, along with her. Boom Clap was surely playing at top volume. Boom Clap was a local fave. Everyone was, everyone was shaking and crying. No one was listening to shake it. But what do you think her opinion of it is versus the fans. I think Taylor swayed a little bit too much by award nominations and that really reflects how she feels about the album sometimes, which is sad to say. I think because it didn't get nominated for any of the big Grammys, like Album of the Year, especially coming off 1989, which won, never mind just, just nominated. I think the fact that it didn't get nominated really hurt her. And if you watch the Netflix documentary, Miss Americana, you see the toll that that has on her. It feels physical. She's sad. And she even says they're going to make a better record next time. And then she drops Lover, but... Oh, what was that? No. I just feel like, unfortunately, that really has dictated how she feels about that album. And she never really speaks about it or dives back into it when she's thinking about her favourite songs. Which is sad because meeting Joe must have been the most amazing time of her life. Especially given some of the songs we hear on Lover. So it's sad that she doesn't celebrate it just quite as much. But I myself have connected to it much later in life and didn't really enjoy it as much when it first came out and I think it's I think it's a grower once you understand it like Nikki said you're not going to get it the first time you listen to it you need to listen to it a few more times and I think that's what I needed to do to fall in love with it properly I think it's very nuanced and I think honestly when she goes on to re-record it people will really grasp and love it a bit more whenever her Taylor's version comes out and I hope we get to hear some more songs in the vault about Joe and being in love but also with that big Max Martin Shellback production that we get at the start of the album as well. I think it'll be interesting to see if she actually does resubmit Reputation Taylor's version for the Grammys because I think she's at a point in her life where she's now just making what she wants versus trying to chase the high of being successful. I think she's happy in herself. She's going to do what she wants to do clearly because she's dropping albums and re-releases whenever she's like, um, you can have it now. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not the world will finally be ready for it whenever we pick it back up when Taylor's version is released, hopefully sometime in 2022 or 2023. 
Thank you all so much for listening to the first episode of Snapped Pod. I've been Pete. And I've been Paul. Please make sure to follow us at Snapped Pod on all social medias. And keep an ear out for a clue of what next week's episode is all about. See you next time. Thank you.